just gonna let this one roll, Manny. We're just gonna let this one roll. You know, I, I, I can't even make my normal Justin Bieber joke or insert random pop star acts into that because that's fantastic. So, this is bottom of the bottle. Before we, we get sidetracked again, this is bottom of the bottle. We're not gonna do it. Uh, I'm Adam Gataldo, he's Manny Gonzalez, a special guest today we'll introduce in a moment. I'm uh, really excited about having him here. As you guys know, Manny uh, gets a bottle of wine, I get a bottle of wine. We talk about whatever we're drinking until we get to the bottom of the bottle. It's, it's pretty simple. We're exploring wine from the bottle of the time. And explain that song, Manny, before we introduce our guest. Because I, I want to kind of delay introducing him because he has better hair than I do. And that is like really affecting me emotionally right now. And his facial hair is better than like, just it, It's not, I'm not okay with it. That's my thing. And he's taking it <laughs> like that. So. Well, before, I that, before I do that, we were on a Zoom meeting last Thursday, a week ago, Adam, and you were baby face, clean shaven like a baby's bum. And I was really surprised by that <laughs> because this quintessential Adam Cataldo is feared. So, but I'm not, I, I digress from that. Uh, so obviously that was House of Pain and that was Jump Around. So every week we start with a new wine or a, a different, uh, uh, different music. It could be something um, like funk. We, we had uh, Sisters Underground, uh, which is the Maori hip hop group from New Zealand. When we were talking about New Zealand wines, uh, we had Nusrat Fat Ali Khan last time. We opened up with All You Need Is Love, where we had John Charles Bosse on because we don't know or understand New World wines as well. And we kind of need that push to understand it. But obviously, he's French and starts with the French national anthem. Um, it's very easy to pick. Yo-Yo Ma, Chell Sweet One, and G Major, which is a beautiful piece of music, and pair that with great wine, pair that with great burgundy. It's very easy to take Ella Fitzgerald and pair her with the kind of rich, brashy, brioche style of great champagne like Charles Heitzen. But I think sometimes we need to be really intentional about what we do in this industry. And sometimes we need to take people that love wine, that drink wine, shake them up, slap them in the face, turn them upside down, dunk them in a pool of water, throw champagne in their face and talk about it. And the person we have today does just that. I would like to welcome a super awesome dude on our show, very charismatic, uh, Philippe Andre, who is the ambassador for Charles Heights at Champagne, one of the great champagne houses, um, one of our favorite champagnes, which we have to be drinking today, Philippe, Welcome to Bottom of the Bottle. You guys, I'm excited to be here, and let's bring the motherfucking pain. <laughs> <laughs> Word. Excellent. Right, let's go. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks. Well, first, first and foremost, every time we have a guest on, I, I think we always have to say this, we don't rehearse um, at all. So there might be a couple points where we're like, uh, who's going to talk next? Because Zoom is weird. It's different than talking in a room where someone can just interject, right? That, that time delay is, is uh, so that might happen a couple times. I might edit it out. I might not. But um, so can you just for a moment talk about kind of what you do and um, what, what makes you awesome? Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Um, it's it's really uh, an, an, a, a real treat to kind of take a step back and, and reflect. Um, so I'm the U.S. ambassador for Charles Heitzig Champagne. Um, I started with the winery at the end of 2018. 
I'm from Chicago, uh, Evanston, uh, born and raised, um, moved to New York to take the, the role. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm now instantly a, a little fish in a big pond. Um, but I've got arguably the greatest ace up my sleeve, which is the wines of Charles Heitzig, um, in my bag at all times. Um, we're a small family owned winery in the Champagne region, about an hour outside of uh, Paris in the heart of Reims. Um, we import about 5,000 nine liter cases to the U S per year. So, um, I sell that to people and they're like, wait, what? Like, I thought it was much bigger. And, um, I think the first year, the end of 18, we did about 3000 nine liter cases in the U S so just to give you like sense of where we are and, um, we're, 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 we're the niche, we're the small guy. And, um, what I loved about that is I love a good underdog story. And there's been many times in my professional career in my life where I've had to overcome, uh, adversity in some manner. And, uh, for me with Charles, it was the immediate like connection of they needed to, you know, be, um, back in the, in the, in the, on stage that they deserve to be. And I needed something that deserved to be on the stage in order to do what I do best, which is be a hype man for great, great wine, you know, and, uh, and an exciting culture. I think for me, I, I wanted to push the envelope of what champagne can be and what wine can be in terms of accessibility, um, excitement, energy, and, and just flat out fun. Um, and so to have a brand like Charles Heitzig, that's historic and so personal, um, asked me to be the face of their, you know, their relaunch and their business. Um, you know, I had to pinch myself a couple of times. I almost like, didn't really think it was real until I moved out there, uh, to do it. But, um, I think when, when, you know, the, things started kind of happening immediately. It was like, yeah, this is the right fit. And um, I've had the hundred percent support of our ownership and leadership since day one. And that has been honestly the greatest attribute I could say to get the job done. So I haven't told you yet what I do because, <laughs> because um, it's really crazy. My role is as the ambassador. Um, you know, I think uh, a lot of other ambassadors are more like the uh, I'm going to wave and, um, you know, you're going to think I'm cool or, or I look good and we're going to, you're going to buy my wine. Um, I came in looking at, at it more of a business standpoint. Um, I wanted to see where we were. I wanted to see where we've been and I want to see where I thought we could go. And immediately I saw opportunities to elevate placements with the higher end, the vintage wines, for instance. Um, a lot of great, a lot of great play on our non-vintage wines, but no one was really talking or celebrating our vintage wines. And, you know, we made one, arguably one of the greatest wines of all time in Champagne Charlie itself, which, um, uh, which will return. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I just said, okay, look, you know, everybody knows the Brut Reserve and that's the reason why we do what we do. It's our bread and butter. And that's, that's amazing. And that's what's incredible value, but what can we do in a, on a grand stage, like in New York, with vintage magnums by the glass, wow. you know, Jeroboam's, uh, vintage Jeroboam's by the glass. Like this would be crazy to think about this, but um, the excitement of the wines and, and also just the quality level uh, made so much sense. When we started partnering with some of the top, um, you know, restaurants and hotels um, and we built the community from scratch. I mean, literally just, you know, showing up to tasting, showing up to collector dinners with a bottle in the bag and being like, Hey, 
this is our wine. And people are like, whoa, I've never had this before. I completely forgot about Charles. And, um, you know, so I think about, you know, um, you forgot about Dre. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's like the same thing. Like we're coming back and we've never been gone. We just, you know, you're sleeping on us and, um, quality at the winery has, has never been better. And, uh, that's something that I knew going into it is like I said, ace of the sleeve. Every time I got it in somebody's glass, there was like, holy shit. Why have I not been about this in the past? And, um, I think being able to translate that to Psalms, to, you know, buyers to restaurateurs to beverage managers um to collectors has been um so important in growing the brand into the momentum that we have now um but also again i'm trying to bring it with my flavor which is very different than um i think 95 percent of the rest of the champagne business um which again is something a little polarizing and that's fine but our wine is polarizing and that's that's what charles is all about i mean you you look at what he was wearing and what he was all about back in the day. And the guy stood out. He was a tall dude. He was dressed to the nines. He was really well-educated and knew what he was talking about. And he was passionate about aged champagne, which again, you know, kind of looks like me, but um, you know, it's, it's a, it's fascinating world. Um, Right now we are, um, we're in a unique place where we have an even greater partnership with our import company, which is Folio Fine Wine Partners. Um, our ownership at Charles is now a partner, actually, in ownership of the wine company. Um, so we're, we're, we're streamlining and developing new channels of business. Um, one of the greatest things or coolest things that I've been up to recently is finding other avenues to get our wines in front of folks that are passionate about quality and um, are, are really kind of tired of the normal, you know, mainstream options. Um, that they're always kind of being force fed. So um, partnerships and develop, brand development is something that I'm really digging on and have been really pushing on since day one. But um, over the last year and a half, it's been like full throttle, like, hey, if you could do anything, any partnership, what would it be? Go for it. Like those are the, those are the things, I'm, things I'm asking myself and then I'm trying to execute on. And honestly, they're, they're actually happening, which is crazy because, um, like I said, we're like the, we're like the David's little, little David versus the Goliath. Now we're not even David. We're like the little David. Uh, so, um, the fact that I even get a shot just again, shows what can be done when you have incredible wine in your bottle and a resilience and dedication to really not taking no for an answer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what I do in a nutshell. <laughs> I, are we done that's now? Awesome. Is the podcast so, over? Uh, I, think, you know, I think I took the whole time. What? No, I mean, like, <laughs> you're going to fit right in with us because we ramble on incessantly all the time. So that was that was perfection as far as I'm concerned. All right. Um, some but, of us, some of us more than others, that would be Adam, not me. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, well, y'all asked me to come on for 45 minutes, and when it comes to champagne, I mean, we could spend the whole day. So uh, I hope you guys buckle up right. for this one. <laughs> it's awesome. Get the popcorn. So, get the popcorn. A, you know, make sure make sure you have your blankie uh, and uh, and and tuck yourselves in. <laughs> so I have a I have a question because you you said it multiple times in in your answer to the Manny's question there about why you're there and what you do. Mm-hmm. You said I mean I think you said Charles Heidek is special like seventeen times, which it is. Can you go into a little bit of why you think it is special 
are the same things that you thought were special about it when you started what you think is special about it now, or have you found new things that, you know, you're, is there new, are there new things all the time that get you pumped to go to work? Um, I think the new things are how secretive they are at the winery and they don't tell me shit, which is like, you know, hilarious. Cause I'm like, guys, how, how did you not, how did you keep this from me? Um, which again is we can, we can touch on some of those cool things, but when it comes to the attributes and just the qualities of the winery and the, the ethos behind um, ownership, leadership and our founder, um, nothing has changed for me since day one. It's, it's just constantly being reaffirmed and, um, and I think when I, when I looked at the opportunity to join the team, I mean, it was a big decision for me to, to really kind of uproot my life here in Chicago and move to New York. Um, so I had to really put some thought into it. And I, I put my, you know, my, my entrepreneurial hat on. I said, okay, is this a realistic, you know, challenge for me to accomplish? Are the goals achievable? Is this a viable product? And so I had to really kind of dissect each individual attribute of the winery of the business of the brand um and make sure that it was aligned with what i wanted um you know i mean uh you know a job's a job but thankfully i've been in a position for quite some time where i can kind of be really choosy about what i want to do and what i want to represent um and so for me the core values are really straightforward it's integrity um it's it's uh patience it's dedication to you know uh, an original design and plan of our founder and it's um it's value um because when you look at our root reserve our blue label which is our flagship wine about you know 90 percent of our bottling each year is that cuvee um that is the most important wine for us and we and it's also the most affordable wine that we make and so the concept there is well it's the hardest wine for us to make but it's the most affordable wine well we see it as this is our like the ambassador of the winery, you know, the first wine you taste of Charles should be that wine, you know, it doesn't have to be, but it should be in our eyes. And so we do our hardest to make sure that level is just as high as all the way to the tip of the spear or, you know, in our, in our exotic bottlings, you know, like Blanc de Millenaire or our vintage wines. I mean, the quality level has to be consistent across the board, no matter what the price point, because the cuvee is really just, we're showing you a different style of winemaking and more importantly, a vision of our founder. So for me, <laughs> um, that, that right there was like, okay. And again, you know, having quality wine in my back pocket, I knew that there's going to be a time where someone's going to not like me or care who I am or give a shit about what I do, but they're going to say, wow, this wine's damn good. I don't care. I'm buying it. And then there's going to be some people who are like, I don't really need another champagne because somebody else is, you know, already here all the time throwing parties and they've got a big, you know, the customers know the brand when they walk in the door and I may be able to convince them to say, just give me a shot. And let me show you what our community is all about. And then let me show you why high quality wine matters, even at the same price of what you're currently using. And I think for me, it was like the disruption, you know, it's like the Uber champagne. Like we came on the block and all the taxi drivers were like, wait, my medallion's worth nothing now. Oh, because this and it's like yes so so for me i was like yeah let me kick the door down and more importantly we're going to pave a whole new road for consumers to learn what age champagne can be but also what high quality value champagne can be in the same conversation and so um those those have not changed since day one with charles um and i think what's what's also fascinating to me is just like how 
little I saw it everywhere. So I just knew it was like, it was like open season, like everything was available. There was, you know, really just everything had to be built from scratch, which I mean, I got excited about that. I know some people probably say, I don't want to do this shit. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to do that grind. But for me, I was like, how many times in your professional career do you get to build something from scratch? And you get to like take a new chapter of a historic brand or a legacy and, you know, really put your, your thumbprint on it. And so I took it to great heart and um, I put a lot of personal passion and dedication into it because I really believed in what I was doing and I believed in the opportunity that I was being given. Um, and again, it goes back to ownership and leadership giving me a shot being very different than the normal, you know, ambassador or normal person that would probably be in the role. So I felt like I had, you know, I had to really kind of show them why they picked me, but also show the community how you can be different and it's okay to be different. And more importantly, different is, is sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sexy. Yeah. I want to, uh, uh, two things. I want to point out, uh, Mike, I want to talk about glassware for a second. Okay. I'm just giving out shit here, but um, how do you drink champagne? Do you drink in a flute or do you drink in a, in a like a just wine I glass? It, I drink it around friends and family. That's how I drink champagne. <laughs> <laughs> All right, family, um, not a, family, not as sexy, but. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think there's many ways to enjoy champagne. It's personal preference. Some people like to see the bubbles. And that's cool, man. You know, you do you. I'm not here to tell you what you have to do. I'm, I'm here to tell you to give me a shot, you know, and give other wines a chance, not just mine. Um, I think that's what I try to encourage is that if you don't know what type of glass you should be drinking your wine out of or your champagne, then get three or four of them, line them up and try them yourself. And then you be the judge of what you like to do, because I'm very different than y'all and that's okay um but what i like to do is some crazy shit i like to decant stuff you know um especially bubbles especially when you know it's non-vintage and it's it's the hot off the presses like yeah that's when i want to throw air at it and the bubbles to me are like extra credit what i love about our wines at charles is you take the bubbles away and it's damn good wine and that you can't say that about a lot of champagne houses and i think it's just again the secret to our success is quality wine I'm, I was giving Adam shit because he had apologized in the very beginning because he has a flute. And um, I'm basically, but, but it's because he broke all his wine glasses. That's okay. You know, that's fine. Again, whatever y'all want to drink, Charles Heitzig Adam, you are more than welcome to. Uh, there is no wrong way to drink a bottle of Charlie. <laughs> awesome. Just no, speaking about sexy, like you're talking about, um, you know, Charles Heitzig and Champagne Charlie. Can you go into his mystique a little bit? Because he was very different. I know there was the movie with Hugh Grant, um, you know, back in the 90s or whatever, which, you know, I mean, okay, it's a little vanilla, but that's totally fine. But like, you know, can you give some some background on Charles Hightech, who he was as a person and what made him create such iconic and, and amazing champagne? Yeah. So when I think of Champagne Charlie, I think of um, someone who was unwilling to to accept what was basically handed to them. Um, Charles grew up in a family of, of uh, you know, very um, um, defined business. And uh, the Heitzig family at that point had been really developed in terms of their business with Heitzig & Co., uh, Piper Heitzig specifically, 
um, coming in 1785. But when Charles was of age, um, much later, he started the winery when he was very young. It was 1851 is when he started the winery. And we're about to celebrate his, um, his, his birthday coming up this summer uh, with something special. Um, but really, it's, it's a story of someone who, like I said, didn't, didn't want to, believed in a style of wine, which is aged champagne, being accessible, and saw that there was nothing else out there that, you know, was what he wanted. But more importantly, he believed in what he believed was um, something very special and what deserved to be part of the community. And so he put his name on the label, you know. Um, you don't see very often uh, champagne houses with someone's full name. It's usually a family name. Um, and so for, for him, it was a very personal thing. It was, this is my champagne. This is what I believe in, what champagne, good champagne should be and can be. And um, he had the support of, of family and friends to start his own business. Um, and he went out and hustled and he did it. And I think that really is the story of uh, someone who is kind of a master of, of his craft, but also just really um, he believed in what he was doing um, so much that he, you know, pushed himself in many different directions, got arrested, you know, ended up owning Denver and selling it, you know, and then, I mean, it's just, it's just, he's like the Forrest Gump of champagne. So the movie with Hugh Grant, um, I highly recommend everybody buy a, a Magnum of Charles Heitzig because you're gonna need a Magnum to finish the first half of that movie. And then the second half is the, your, your follow-up to do something vintage, you know? Um, because it is a very informative movie and it's very accurate, but it's long. It's like three and three hour, three forty, I think it is something like that. Um, but uh, you know, you think about someone producing a movie about a champagne house owner or, and you're like, that's crazy. Well, this guy had a crazy life. And um, I think of, there's so many opportunities for this to not work and for Charles to the, the winery itself to not survive. Um, there's so many ups and downs and so many opportunities for it to fail that he willed it to happen. And of course there was a lot of things that happened in, in great graces of it. But I think it's a story of, of, uh, of magic because it, it was meant to be, you know? Um, and so here we are today kind of following in that legacy and continuing on, in it and um it's just uh what an iconic person in the wine world not just champagne so um that's champagne charlie to me so it's so interesting the especially going back to 1851 manny and i did an episode on on champagne i don't know six months ago and we we talked a little bit about how bubbles didn't at, the, at one point, Champagne was still in red. Like the, the bubbles phenomenon is fairly recent in the history of Champagne as a region on the whole. So if he's doing aged wine in 1851, it's it's crazy because I don't, it's difficult to explain the cost of producing Champagne, especially aged Champagne. And I've done it and because uh, I can't pronounce Oz, I can't articulate it at all. So could you go into a little bit about the reserve wine program and and what Heidzik does that is so different than every other champagne house, because it, it is, it's, it's nothing like what all the other champagne houses are doing. It's really unique in that sense. Yeah. I, I'm, I, that's a great question. And I, again, I think it goes back to what you were asking, like, what is, what is Charles all about? And for me, it's that, that non-vintage root reserve wine, 
that you see on the shelf for 50, 60 bucks, it literally takes us two decades to make that bottle. And I've been thinking of like for years, when I first started, how do I pitch someone that doesn't know anything about champagne or really wine, but how do I get them to want to try it in literally five seconds? And when I tell people, whether I'm at an event or I'm at a party or I'm pouring for consumers, and I say, you should try my wine. It takes 20 years to make it. They literally look at me like I have a third eye because I have never heard of a champagne or a wine that is held for 20 years before it's being released. Um, at least not in our price point, you know? Um, and so that for me is like the, I gotcha now. Like when they talk about aged wine, it's not for everybody and that's okay. But what, what I love about what we do with the Brut Reserve is we give you a taste of the aged wine with a taste of young fresh wine. So you really get a chance to put your toe in the water before you jump and dive in. You know, we're not saying, hey, you need to drink 20 year old champagne all the time. We're going to put a little bit of, you know, special sauce, some truffles on top of your pasta to make you, you know, crave the next bite. And that's what the Brut Reserve is. So essentially, the 20 years that it takes us to make that wine are a significant portion of reserve wines that are already aged for 10 plus years. So half the bottle is reserve wine. Now at Charles, for us, reserve wine is that average age 10 years. You can go across the street to our neighbor, which makes they make a lot of wine um, and they make beautiful wine. But for them, reserve wine is anything that's one year or, or more older. And so when you see their bottlings, and I know I, I have a lot of friends that are like, oh my God, it's 70% reserve wine. I'm like, yeah, well, it's a year old. It's, it's literally a year old. So you can call it a reserve wine. And that's fine. That's their style. But they make a lot of wine at a scale that we would never be able to replicate of what we're doing. So our reserve potion is just this. Um, we are putting a ton of wine in tank every year of harvest that we will come back to and revisit over the years. And so to give you a scale of it about, you know, a fraction of what we actually bottle gets vinified and goes into tank. So we're not, we're not bottling everything, everything that comes in for the harvest. And we do that because we literally need to build up a stock, a library of these reserve wines. They age in stainless steel tank in perfect, uh, zero air condition. So they're not exposed to any of the elements. A lot of people ask, Hey, do you guys use barrels? You know, back in the day, I'm sure that's how a lot of this stuff was accomplished. But now that we're pushing the envelope of 10, 15, 20 years plus reserve wine, stainless steel is so important for us. And it has been for many years, and not only at Charles, but also in the region. So we, we, we realize that these wines will age and we age them by, by variety, by, by plot. Um, and obviously by vintage, um, so that we can use our chef de cave can use that as a tool when they're building their dish, essentially. And you think of the word chef de cave, it's like, yeah, our winemaker is a chef because they're making like 280 wines every year and they only use like 40 every year. So like the concept of that is, is, is mind boggling, but you know, for, for the normal, um, wine drinker or consumer, they're going to be like, I'm already lost. I have no idea what you're talking about. So for me, the age is the most important thing to talk about because really there's nobody else that's doing the age like we are at the, at the price that we are. So that's our, that's our, that's our gotcha moment, you know, um, taking the old with the new together. Um, it's like that Fuji's album when it came out, people were like, what is going on? These samples are crazy, you know? Um, and uh, that's it. 
That's awesome. And just to drive the point home, I think Manny's got a question, but I, I can't get off this. The Brute Reserve takes 20 years to make from start to finish, right? So yes. I'm drinking a 2006 vintage Charles Heidsick Rosé vintage. This is this is younger wine than some of the reserve wine that you put in the Brute. And like, oh, yeah. that, it's just crazy that you put that juice in that Brute Reserve. It's awesome. I I appreciate that. I, it's not my choice. It's the choice of our ownership, allowing our winemaking team and our chef to Cobb Cyril to have those wines at their disposal and to have the space and the resources to make that decision. And that's, I mean, again, that's integrity. That's sticking to the plan and not scrambling to say, Hey, let's just ramp up production and start bottling wine. Let's lower the quality down, but let's make more wine. No, it's the complete opposite. It's actually, we're, we're going to more, reserve wine and older reserve wine. So when I started with Charles, we were doing 60% base vintage, 40% reserve wine. Now the new base vintages that are coming out starting next year will be minimum 50% reserve wine. And that's again, a dedication to the style of wine, but also a dedication to the quality level being even raised. So um, it's, it's comical and crazy. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense because I saw how much you know, a cost and how much we're charging. It's, it's a complete disruption and I love every single bit of it. <laughs> well, it's delicious. So you should. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's delicious disruption. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, you, you just named the podcast, my friend, delicious disruption. That's what that, that's what this one's going down as. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. So there's a little background noise because they're, they're playing the room, but um, that's all right because it's it's about the the ambiance and the and the yeah man reality. we've all been there awesome so um, we had uh, Steve Larue in um, in the market about two years ago uh, who was the, the general manager I think of Charles Heitzig right yeah um, and he was telling us that he was tasting some Heitzig from the early 1900s and that it was like obviously at that point when you get to older wines you have to look at it differently but it was like drinking sherry. I love sherry. Um, so, you know, Adam is going through uh, the master's course for the French Wine Scholar Guild for Champagne because uh, that's his thing. Um, I just took the certified specials for sherry. We don't sell sherry, but I still spent the money and the time to do it because I fucking love sherry. Um, but he was saying that these were just like sherry. And I just want to point out, I was a, at an account of this small little wine store in, in Medfield but they have some, uh, they move some serious wine out of it, which is really cool. And the owner of the store opened up a 76 Rioja white that was as auburn as your sunglasses. And um, it was like drinking, it was like drinking a, a Palo Cortado Sherry. It was amazing. And I highly encourage people, if you get the opportunity and it's not too expensive, if you're not used to it, try old wine because it, it's, it's a different animal and you have to look at it differently, you know, and have a different mentality towards it. Um, so I'm not drinking the 2006 uh, Rosé Champagne, which by the way, Adam has kind of a fetish for Rosé in general. And so that's his thing. Just, I'm no judgment here, but I have the, um, the Blanc de Blanc. And what yeah, I really what about What's the base vintage you have on the back of the block? Uh, 2000, it was Leyden Chalk in 2013. Okay, so base vintage is 12. Because we yep. tell you the date the wine went into the cellar, so you can deduce a year. 
and that tells you the base vintage. So that means the majority of the wine are, is made from that year of harvest, so 2012. And for that bottling, the Blanc de Blanc, um, reserve wines, we're talking about 10-year reserve wine. Um, and it's, it's our newest addition, our newest uh, member of the family, um, kind of hallmarking on some of the tradition that Charles had back in the day. There was a partnership with Pan Am Airway that the Blanc de Blanc was made specifically for them on, on, and featured on all the flights. Um, we still have some of those OG labels at the winery, which is hilarious to see Charles awesome. Heitzig and Pan Am. And so, which is so funny because literally that was my first time visiting the winery. And I remember spending a, a good couple of days with our team and really going through the documents, historical documents, learning more about the tradition and the history. And so when I see that, and I'm just thinking about this and I'm, I'm jumping around here, but you see an incredible partnership of Charles Heitzig with a brand that was iconic at its time. And so now we have a new partnership with Charles Heitzig with a similar brand that is just as iconic of its time. And so I'm like, oh my God, they planted the seed before I even did it, you know? And, and, but, but I think what's incredible is, is the mutual respect of a quality brand uh, like, you know, that to see the quality behind Charles Heitzig and how, how important it is for their consumers and their community. So the Blanc de Blanc is our, our new kid on the block. Um, a laser-like focus, but it's approachable and it's accessible. Um, Blanc de Blanc is something that I think a lot of consumers are now starting to understand a little bit more. For us and for me, I think Chardonnay is king. Um, it's, for me, it's just the most you know dynamic chard grape that I I get excited about. Um, but it can be sometimes abrasive for many people. Uh, and so while I love you know um, some of those spree you know yellow spree candies that they just completely explode in your mouth and you're like wow that is incredible did i just put my finger in the socket you know some people don't want to deal with that shit <laughs> you know and and the last thing i want is somebody to open my wine and be like i just paid 100 bucks for this and i can't even drink another glass like it's too abrasive it, you know it's and, free, first of all in smarties that's that's my jam yeah so um, I, 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 I love the reference and adam just had a religious moment when you talked about yeah. But the, so, so, so the ethos of Charles is about pleasure. The wines, the wines are made for pleasure. And so we age them before they get to your cellar or before they get to your door in your glass. So there is instant pleasure from the start. And so the non-vintage Blanc de Blanc is our newest lineup. However, the disgorgement is obviously recent, but the aging time on lees is really important for that wine. So I think you have uh, seven years on lees with your bottle. Is that uh I think so. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, right there, you're talking about a, a non-vintage wine with seven years of aging on lees. There are some prestige champagnes because some people like that word prestige. Um, that are, That's where they start and they're charging double what we're charging for a non-vintage wine. And, and again, I, I think our, our point is that we are, we're really happy with being different. We like being different. We celebrate it. And we also want to show you the value of what different can be. Um, mm -hmm. What I think is really cool, just to interject quickly, that you know, having a, a good experience with the Brut Reserve, which is like just beautiful, that brioche, that richness, that is, I mentioned Ella Fitzgerald earlier, it's easy to pair Charles Heitzig with Ella Fitzgerald, and it works very well. You know, we, we have other champagne houses. We also represent Tattenjay, which is like Billie Holiday. It's like really nasally, and, and like she is, I love Billie Holiday, but Lady Day, she's a, a nasally voice, right? And and she sings with such anguish and pain, but you can get that minerality within uh, Tattenger. But what I think is really cool about Heitzig 
in between my my recollection of the Brut Reserve and this Blanc de Blanc, because the Brut Reserve is a good amount of red grapes in that. Um, there's a ton of chalky minerality in this. It's super linear and lean, but it still has this rich brioche weight to it. It's still opulent on the palate while being, as you mentioned, laser focused and and lean and minerally. And like, like I just want, maybe I'll ask them if they can give me some oysters because like, that's just PB and J. Um, like, I just, I'm so stunned by this. Every time I've had it, and I think this was actually, um, yeah, because the the bottle shape is super unique in relation to Adams, um, yep. which yep. I think for some people, even of champagne, champagne, you can use this and get great pleasure from it. Um, but I'm not going to go into why that that is. But it's super easy. Sorry, you're shaking your head. Um, I went dad, there. The dad joke. I, I went, yeah, I'm a dad. I went there. I totally went. There. But um, he always goes there for leap. He's gonna have to get used to it. The show's not over. He's gonna do it at least so, one more time. Today, so, so why the shape of the bottle? Yeah. So, um, Adam, your bottle was was bottled in two thousand seven, and in two thousand eight, we actually introduced a new bottle shape, which is what you have, Manny, which we call the Creer bottle, and this was a bottle that's very special to us at Charles. Because um, there is a there's a hallway in our cellar, um, our historic chalk cellar that uh, we're so proud of. Um, it's a network of 47 individual individual caves, and so from one cave to the next, there's this hallway that literally, when you take a step back, it looks like the bottle. So we had an artist basically mold and basically create a bottle shape to signify that hallway, and it's such an iconic place in our cellar and at Charles that we needed to display it because the chalk sellers for us is these, the alpha and the omega. That's where everything starts and finishes for us. Um, it's about five miles of caves below ground. We're very fortunate to have that space. Every bottle of Charles goes through secondary fermentation in that space. We don't use above ground storage. That's important to us, you know? Um, so that's why the Crayer bottle, as we call it, is so iconic and unique to us at Charles. Oh, that's fantastic in so many different ways. I'm kind of disappointed that I don't have the special bottle. I have the the old school. Hey, man, you know, it's, um, it is, it is, but you know, what's funny though, is when I see that right away, I already know that's some good juice. And when I see the old bottle, I'm like, yeah, buddy, like that's, that's, you know, that's, that's ready. That's ready to rock, you know? Um, so, so yeah, while you don't have the, you know, all the new bells and whistles, it still shows you the soul is very much in the wine. And, um, you know, I think, I think about our style, the Charles style and yeah, we're flashy. We're a little, little defined. Um, I shouldn't say little, we are absolutely defined on the palate. Um, and that may shock some people and, and not really be their cup of tea and that's fine, but we really want people to say, I want to have another sip. And, and we need people to get excited about why is it different and ask questions because what we do cannot be explained in just a few short words. So we literally need to captivate people to say, wow, this is good. Well, why is it so good? And why is this different from what I'm used to? Or why is this nothing like I've ever tasted before? And so that helps, again, for me to be able to tell the story of not only Charles, but also the history of the winery and why we make the wines the way we do. Um, 
So it's, it kind of goes hand in hand. The quality helps me storytell the stories, get people excited about the quality. And it's this beautiful cycle of pleasure. <laughs> there it is again. I love it. So Philippe, can, can I circle back for a minute to something you mentioned with the Blanc de Blanc? Cause I'm a geek and champagne's my thing. I'm going to go there right now. I'm going to look, we're going to put everyone to sleep for the next five minutes as you answer this okay. question, but, but that's okay. Manny's already sleeping. So technically acidity in a wine doesn't decrease over time. That's the one, that's kind of like the one constant. Yes. Yes. Um, the perception can be different, but, but technically it, it stays the same. So why, and you were talking about least contact. So mm -hmm. is that why the least contact is so important? Because that racy acidity is going to be there and it's never going to go away when that wine ages and those tertiary flavors come out that you need that extra to kind of balance out. Why do you need that least contact? Is it the acid? Is it something else? What makes that so important for the? Yeah, I, mean, I think to Manny's point, he was like, you know, the, the Brut Reserve is so iconic. It has all this brioche. It has all these complex flavors and, how could you imagine a Charles bottle without that? Um, but now when you focus on a monovarietal bottling like the Blanc de Blanc, you know, the, in order to get there is different. You know, you can't just, you, we can't tie in reserve wine from other varieties that we have that have been aged. We're using one variety and it ages differently in a different scale. Um, the other thing is, I, I keep going with the word disruption because we fucking can, <laughs> you know, we can awesome. do a non-vintage wine with seven years on lease because we can. And here's why the texture for me at Charles with these wines, it's so fuzzy and it's so velvety. It's, 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 it's pleasurable and, and sensual on the palate. I mean, there's really, you taste other bubbles and they prick at your tongue, they prick at your mouth and you're kind of like, all right, there's a ton of mousse. And then now there's nothing else. Well, this wine should literally grow on your palate like a fungus, but at the same time entice you to take another sip. So I think that's what Charles for me does. And that time component gives you the extra curriculars of, um, you know, giving the extra flavors, extra complexity, but texture I think is another really important thing for our wines at Charles. And, and you can't, you can't fake that. You can't rush it either. So, um, to do a to do a two year on Lees champagne and ask it to be what a seven year old wine on Lees does is not possible. When it comes to the brioche, that stuff, in my opinion, is less about Lees aging. It's more about winemaking and selection. But for me, I think the time on Lees is really about texture first and foremost. Um, I think there is a misconception about how much Lees influence the wine takes on from long term aging. Um, we do hundred percent mallow lactic fermentation. Not everybody does, but I think you get a lot of the, a lot of the misconceptions of like why our wines have that cre creaminess to them. They think it's from, people think it's from the lees aging and it's really from the mallow lactic fermentation, in my opinion. And I could be horribly wrong. And our chef to is like, no, Philippe, you're, you're horribly wrong. But I, I, I don't know. But, but for me, tasting other wines that are made differently than ours, that is one of the most defining factors of texture, weight. And then that soft silkiness that we do at Charles that is so iconic and so unique. I would think that um, being in such a, a challenging, cool climate of Champagne, you kind of need to have 100% mallow because the acidity would be so bracingly high. And this already has a ton of acid to it. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, I, I agree. It's again, it's personal preference. And some people want to burn people's tongues off and, you know, rip the enamel off their teeth. And that's, yo, that's cool every now and then. Like, I don't, I don't mind that, you know, but when, when I think about inviting family over my house or friends over my house, that's not what I'm pouring them, you know, like, and, and, and I, I you know, I want to focus on the moment. I want to talk about the conversation and hopefully they'll acknowledge the wine is delicious. That's, that's my goal. And then there's also a moment where I get home from work and I'm like, you know, and again, I'm, I'm thinking about like, I had a long day. I want to have a glass of champagne. I don't want to stress out about, you know, do I have to pop a Tums after I have this glass of champagne? You know what I mean? So I think it's about finding a balance and balanced wine to me encapsulates all those things, you know? Um, and dosage is a big topic as well. And, and so a lot of people will say, you know, oh, zero dosage is the best way to experience champagne. Well, maybe it's the best way to experience champagne for you and for what you like. That's fine. Um, if you want to talk about terroir, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, you know, that's great. What we do at Charles is we show you a different style of terroir. We show you age. We show you our cellar. And that's the terroir that we put on full display with every single bottle of Charles that no one else can do. That's, that's literally it. I mean, I, I, love other, I love our neighbors and I love the entire region. Anyone will ask me questions and I, I love to dive in there. I'll tell you all the producers that I absolutely adore and that I have in my cellar but none of them do wine like we do with Charles. And that's just it. I just want to point out the, um, the stopper on this. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, with, with great power comes great responsibility, man. It's I've almost, I've almost taken my head off twice opening this yeah. because it really captures the, the CO2, but the Charles Heitzig stopper is, I'm, I guess, Adam, it wouldn't work with yours because it's more for the newer. It's, yeah, it's all, it's, it's incredible because I opened this wine up. I was tasting it with, with my friend Sophia from Astros. Um, although we were just about out of stock on it. So I'm like, we don't have any, I have like the last, I bought the last bottle of this, this release. Um, but we're just going to drink it just to drink it. And that was at around two o'clock and it's still, extremely effervescent like it's well a lot of, a lot of people are are not familiar with champagne and in, in terms of like how resilient it is um i do a lot of uh a lot of experiences virtually now and um we literally will send out two bottles of champagne to like 100 homes and we'll do a virtual tasting um which is really cool because i get two bottles at everybody's house and i know they're gonna have a great time can you send but me but you usually what happens is they say, you know, I, 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 it's a school night. I can't drink both these bottles. What do I do tomorrow? And it's like, okay, look, you can literally leave these bottles in your fridge. As long as you don't put them on the door and they're not being shaken up, they'll be perfectly bubbly tomorrow. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, just make sure you drink it tomorrow. And so with a stopper, now you get like a whole week, sometimes even longer, depending on how full the bottle is to enjoy it as long as it's not being shaken up and as long as it's being kept cold. Um, I definitely encourage people to drink it the, the moment you open it again, rather than trying to reclose it and open it again. But um, champagne, there'll be times where like, I'll leave a bottle out on accident, you know, from the night before and uh, I'll come back to it the next morning and I go to like, you know, try it. And I'm like, holy shit, there's still bubbles in this. Like, this is, this is crazy, you know? Um, so and if you ever go tasting at wineries in Champagne, 
a lot of the guys don't even put stoppers on them. They just, they're seller temp the whole time. They don't have stoppers on them. It's like, you know, they opened yeah. these yesterday and folks tasted them yesterday and you try them. But I think it goes back to, again, like kind of the mindset. A lot of this is we make wine that happens to have bubbles in it, <laughs> like wine first. So if there are no bubbles in your Charles glass, it's probably still going to be better than something else you would normally drink with bubbles. So I'm so, just saying. <laughs> so I want to uh, kind of tangentially go to a topic here because I think it's really important. Bubbles is growing, which is fantastic because, again, I, I love bubbles and everyone should drink bubbles all the time. Uh, I, I, there's, a, there's a chef at a restaurant here on Cape where all he does is drink champagne. And he says that when I say that, I, I sound really, you know, stuck up and, and, and arrogant. But when he says it, he's very, he's French. So it sounds gorgeous when he says it. But I, I think everyone should do that because champagne is fantastic. But there's this pigeonhole, right? Like it's for celebrations only. I mean, the, the, this 06 has been sitting in my, my wine fridge probably since 2018. And I've been waiting for the excuse to open it. And today I was like, screw it. You, you know, we're, we're, we're going to crack it. Why not? What is, what's your take on when to open bubbles? Again, I, I am, I'm all about celebrating Thursday, which is what we're doing right now. We're celebrating that yeah. Thursday. No, I mean, we're, we're, let's, let's be really clear here. We're all weirdos on yeah. this call is that we, we drink wine at a scale that is usually unprecedented. Um, and so we're always looking for an excuse to celebrate and always looking for an excuse to open a bottle of champagne. But um, I, I, what I try to do is make it accessible. And I think accessibility demystifies that, that concept of it's a celebratory wine. Um, secondly, you know, when you think of a, a celebration, you're at a wedding or an anniversary or a birthday, it's usually not even champagne. <laughs> So, right. so the concept of some people are like, well, oh, this is better than the champagne that we had at so-and-so's wedding. And you're like, well, was it champagne? And they were like, no, actually you're right. It was Prosecco. And we're like, yeah, okay. So then, you know, you're, you're totally missing the whole point here. You know, you need to check out the whole region. So what I'm going to recommend is I'm going to put my Sami Sam hat on right now. I spent um, almost 10 years on the floor of fine dining before I moved into the auction world and the production and then to import. Um, and I, I've always been so enamored with how complimentary champagne is to food. And so the moment we start encouraging people to open a bottle of champagne with a meal, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, um, I think people will start to grab, like grasp the reality that it is the perfect fucking wine for every occasion, not just a celebratory, Hey, congratulations on this. Um, and more importantly, you, you deserve it. Treat yourself, you know, like you normally open the $9 bottle of wine. Okay. I get it. Five, 50 bucks, 60 bucks is probably a lot. So instead of finding this momentous celebratory occasion, make a nice meal for someone that you love and share a bottle of wine with them and just have fun with it. You know? And, and I think, I think we can all agree that 60 bucks is a reasonable experience for a bottle of champagne, at least in my opinion, for 20 years of production 60 bucks i think is a great deal um far better in my opinion than probably a 60 dollars bottle of red that you can find at the store or wherever you shop for your wines again no shade on on folks that make you know still wines but if i'm gonna be the psalm that i am and i'm gonna pair food and wine champagne's gonna be my first go because usually it goes best with everything that you're gonna put on the plate anyway and it's gonna be better value than anything else you could think of to pair it with at the same price point 
So there's two reasons, in my opinion, why you should be drinking champagne every fucking day, all day, every day. <laughs> I kind of want to have with this wine popcorn shrimp because I just think it would be the bomb. Yeah. You know, just that acid to kind of cut through some of the fat, you yep. know, and you get all the flavors. And obviously, I mean, like the soils of champagne are kind of ridiculous with like fossils and all this other crap. Like you pick up those flavors and those nuances. Um, can you just for, cause I know um, we'll probably wrap up soon, but can you talk a little bit about uh, Adam had pointed out in his, his uh, wine scholar champagne book, there's a little passage about champagne, Charlie uh, being arrested. Yeah. Um and being pardoned by Abe Lincoln. Can you can you touch on that a little bit? Because I think it's yeah. So, so we actually have we have historical documentation in the presidential archives uh, that Charles Heitzig was actually served at Abraham Lincoln's inauguration party. There's a menu that chart that tells you what you can buy, and Charles Heitzig is on it. And that goes back to Charles actually coming to the United States, bringing the wines of the region and his wine to the front and center stage. And that was royalty back in the day. And our royalty here in the U S was our, our president. So Abe um, was exposed to this and saw Charles at events, parties. Um, I don't think Abe drank. If I recall, I don't know if he was a drinker. I'm not the best historian on that, but um, there was a time when Charles was asked by the French government to bring documents over to the U.S. Um, as a, uh, you know, a, a, a diplomatic pouch. And so the pouch had documentation that was going to the Confederacy. Uh, Charles, you know, was being kind of caught in this negotiation, this, this business that his country was doing with the Confederacy, which is essentially, uh, the, I think the Confederacy was, they were buying uh uniforms and, and supplies from the French. And so Charles got wrapped up in that East Coast, West Coast shit. And being from Ross, the both sides banged on him. Uh, that's a, that's a, you know, um, that's an OG reference if you guys know that movie, but, um, or being from Chicago, like me, both sides banged on him. Um, so he found himself in, in a prison and, and a not a good one at all, almost died actually, but he was given the opportunity to plead guilty and be uh, deported. And they said, look, if, as long as you submit to this shit, we'll let you go back and, and that you just, you know, you, you can never come back. But Charles was a very honorable man. And he really felt strongly about that he had done nothing wrong. And so, you know, to his hardheadedness or to his, um, his, his dedication to his family name and to what he wanted to accomplish with his business, he risked his life to basically prove that he was not a traitor and was not a spy and had nothing to do with this whole East coast, West coast shit. And so it took some time, but Abe got word that he was, you know, being suspected of this and he was in prison and Abe pardoned him and basically was like, no, let this guy go. And uh, Charles was able to, 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 you know, be exonerated of all charges and uh, was able to go back to, to France. Um, I mean, he almost died. He lost a ton of weight. He was very gaunt. I mean, it was traumatic. And you have to think about the fortitude, the mental fortitude to say, look, I, my easy way out here is to say I did it and I get slapped on the wrist and I get to go home. But he refused to do that. He refused to go back to France with his family's name being tarnished or associated with being a traitor. Um, and so that for me, just again, 
uh, one of the reasons why integrity and uh, dedication continues on in our legacy at Charles Heinzig. That's, that's awesome. And a, a fun fact, I uh, just want to point out that uh, gay marriage has been legal in the United States longer than the Confederacy was a thing. And that is something to drink too. You heard that. You heard it here, y'all. So what, we all have our story about wine and, and I was at an event last night on Worcester. We had a master wine talking about Grenache and stuff like that. And, and it was, it was really cool, but I was sitting there with a bunch of restaurant people. A lot of them were, were kind of younger people in restaurants, just getting engaged and learning about wine. And someone had asked me like, what got me into wine? And I have my story, you know, it's, it's not just some people. It's so I, you know, worked in sales and I liked wine. I said I was going to do wine sales, but you know, for me, that's, that's not good enough. Like who, what, what is your, what got you into wine? Cause Adam and I have our stories about what made us connect with this stuff in this glass. Um, what made you connect with wine? Um, for me, it was being exposed to it at an early age um, and really appreciating the dedication and like hard work that goes into how it's made. So I think like really understanding the quality of the product, understanding why it's so sacred and why it's so special and different. Um, and then kind of just my desire to want to translate that for others. Like literally, like I want to be the hype man. I want to be, I want to put people on shit that they never even knew they would love. You know, I want to change people's worlds and their lives by putting them onto something that they would have never thought about or no one would have ever told them about it. And so for me, I saw wine as a language and it was a way for me as like the essential, I always call myself like the Google search engine of our cellar back at our restaurant in Evanston. And we had at its heyday almost 1200 different selections. And so you have a customer that walks in the door and they get handed this tome and they instantly now have to pick something. And I immediately could tell these people are overwhelmed. It's, this is, a, you know, that's not what we're about. We want you to have an enjoyable experience. We, we buy all this wine to make sure we have the right wine for you. But more importantly, we have like five or six of them, you know, and it's my job as a sommelier, as a hospitality professional to find the right job for you, find the white wine for you so that you don't have to worry about shit other than just enjoy your meal. And if the wine becomes a star, then I've done an incredible service to you because now you're going to be like, that wine's amazing. I need to tell my friends about it. I love it. And for me, I saw it as a great responsibility to the wineries that we represented. We've had great wine. It was my job to tell their story so that they can continue to do what they've done for generations or for, you know, the year that they just started, like it could be a startup winery, but they're doing great things. It's my job to help them so that I can continually have great wines like that for my guests when they come in the door. So for me, I saw this as a, a wake up call to say, you know, I need to, I need to be more vocal. I need to be more involved. I need to bust my ass and learn everything I can. Uh, but more importantly, like I want to have fun while doing it. And, um, Champagne was the wine that really started it all for me. It's the wine that I think broke a lot of barriers for me when it comes to like starting to learn about wine and how wine is made. You think about champagne and how it's produced. It's really the only wine that's really celebrated that can be like blended, blended from, from vintage, vintage, vintage other than port, which again, no shade on port, but it's not champagne. So uh, my point is champagne really breaks all the rules down. And I'm a type of person that I like that. I like the disruption. We talked about this already. I, I like to say that I'm a person that breaks those rules too. I like to challenge all those questions and challenge the rules and say, well, maybe the rules work for, you know, previous generations, but is it relevant today? And so I think champagne was that first like spark 
that um, that flashpoint from my professional career that said, holy shit, I need to learn everything about this so that I can really explain why everybody should be drinking more of it and, and enriching their lives. That's 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 it. That's awesome. You know, it, it, it's also, uh, Manny won't tell you his story, but I will. Uh, Manny was trying to impress a, a, a female that he found attractive. So she gave him a glass of white Zinfandel and he drank it. And that was how he got it. <laughs> that was his love story with wine. That's the oversimplified version. He's flushing yeah. to see from where I am. Think, things but, uh, we do for love, man. <laughs> the things we do for love. Um, Not 100% true. Yeah. But yeah, my, my version's better though. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, it's wild. And, and like, I'm the work that I'm doing now with the partnership stuff is crazy because I'm seeing, I'm seeing my passions, like my own personal passions come into this the same circle of my passion for wine and cuisine. And so like being able to bring in things together like that, I just know that I'm expanding not only my own, but also other people's horizons on what is important to them in their lives. You know, if you like art, if you like sailing, if you like cuisine, you probably will appreciate something about wine. And so how do I tap that, that, that like kind of inner voice in your spirit to say, I want to learn more, or I want to know more, or I need more. And I think those are the things that I try to constantly do whenever I meet someone on their path, because we're all on a path and journey of wine knowledge. Some of us really want to run ahead. And some of us are just like, yo, I like to take long walks on the beach and that's okay. I need that long walk on the beach wine. That's it. Um, so it's just fascinating for me to be able to influence people's walks, I guess. It's, it's really special to get those notes from people being like, yo, I'm doing this now, but like, holy shit. I just now I'm realizing how much crazy good baller burgundy we drank when we were like waiting tables in college, you know, like things like that. And it's just, those are so inspirational, but also I just really, you know, distill it down to that. I'm, 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 uh, I think I'm opening people's minds to different experiences. Uh, and that's, and I'm using wine as a vessel. Fantastic. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's beautifully said. I think that's ultimately, I said earlier, like we all have our story of why we do what we do. And what we talk about oftentimes with wine, we talk about the history, like we have this whole podcast on Chateau de Pop and the political movement behind Chateau de Pop is, fucking ridiculous right it's like knights templar and all this other stuff like it, it should be a movie i think we should we should be in that movie so it's a it's a bad tv show actually <laughs> it but, is. it's a bad it's a bad tv show on the history channel i won't mention what it is in case anyone on the history channel who wrote it listens to the podcast but <laughs> the thing. but but i mean like it's you know for me like the wine is all about finding those those human connections and the stories of humanity because you know, these people like, that planted these vineyards were all monks and they were all like, they had nothing else to do. But then it was a conqueror. They would come in and then they would take their grapes and all this. Like, it follows the human motion uh, with, within humanity. It's, it's a really fun experience. And um, to share that with people and to share those stories, to share the, the concept of terroir, which is not just the soils and the sun, it's also the interpretation of what is going to be created in that bottle, what should be created in that bottle. Because a lot of people come to this area and make something and it's not going to be Charles Heitzig. It's not going to be Blanc de Blanc or 2006 Rosé or the Brut Reserve um, or Champagne Charlie, any of these things. 
it's just a beautiful journey to 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 go on. It's, Wine and food are magical because they bring us together, right? Like yeah. it, it's it's what they do. It, it, it's you know, Manny and I did a a wine dinner uh, a couple months ago where you know it was old world versus new world. You know, Drew, pick out of the hat who gets France, who gets who gets California. I got California, so I got my ass kicked. Uh, but you know that that is what it is. I'm but, also very charismatic. Yeah, very. <laughs> but the the best part, we were, you know, we were walking around talking to these people, and you know, going back and forth hearing the different opinions and. You know, they were asking, you know, like, why, why do this? Why have this, you know, back and forth argument? You guys seem to be having fun. Like, yeah, like, that's the whole point. <laughs> like, if you're not having fun with wine and food, like, if you're not, like, if, if the food is fuel, people infuriate me, <laughs> you're missing out on like so much of life, man. Like it, it's, yeah, yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, it is fuel. Don't get me wrong. It is. But this is part of what brings people together. Like, come on, like you're missing out on so much in the, the, it's, um, I'm going to blank on his name right now. Oh my God. I'm, this, uh, fa very famous chef, charitable, he's famous, Jose Andres, um, who says, you know, if, if we just got everyone around a table with wine and food, we could solve half the world's problems, but no one will do that because they're too busy arguing with one another. I'm, I'm, you totally, I'm with you them. Totally me off. That's that's my that's my line. There you go. Because if you get everybody around the table and you open a bottle of champagne, I guarantee you more shit will get solved uh, other than eating. Because when you're eating, you're not talking. With champagne, you're going to talk. And I think that's. 100%. Um, I'm I'm going to share one more thing here that I grew up with in my household. My mother um, has this plaque in our kitchen that hangs from on her wall. And it took me many years to figure out what the hell this thing meant. And I mean, it's been there almost as long as I can remember growing up. It wasn't until I really started getting into wine that I realized it. And the plaque says, um, Bordeaux makes you think funny things. Burgundy makes you say them. But champagne makes you do them. <laughs> and that for me was like, this has been predetermined. Like I grew up with this shit. Like it, it's, it's here. It's all around me. I can't escape it, you know? Um, so it just, it just, I think shows that, um, you know, there's some people that are again, very, very thoughtful in what they are passionate about. And some people are just looking for that inspiration to get involved in something that they had never knew that they had a passion about. So um, it's up to us guys. We have to do it. That's, you were you were the ambassador of Charles Heitzig, but we were all the ambassadors of wine and experience and humanity. Yes, yes. All together, so. well, uh, we know you got to jump off. Um, I have to move my car because I'm going to get um, towed soon because I'm in a valet spot. And so I have 10 minutes to get out of here and finish my champagne first, more importantly. Um, but correct priorities, Manny. Priorities. <laughs> I know, Adam. Do you have anything else to 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 add in? I mean, like, no, uh, just very quickly, uh, Philippe. Whenever you want to work Cape Cod, bro, I'm here. Let me know. <laughs> okay, I love it, man. Um, yeah, coming to a city near you. Um, I get pulled in many directions, obviously, but um, you know, it's a. Uh, it's a it's an incredible journey to be able to meet folks and to share our wines with them. So thank you guys for having me on, having the dedication to uh, to put the time in this. Like 
after hours essentially for the for the culture as we say um because i think the more folks we get excited about wine just makes our lives much easier and and their lives much easier which means we've done our job infinitely so i commend you guys on what you're doing and really proud to be here with you today to share my passion and and uh, hopefully inspire some others to find theirs awesome thank you thank you sir i'm gonna so i just want to say like when i when i picked up around like um, I was so keen on doing um, Leon Redbone and his song Champagne Charlie from like the 1940s or whatever. But I was like, no, I know your vibe. And uh, I follow you quite a bit. And I'm like, it's got to be fun. It's got to be esoteric. It's got to be, it's got to make you get up and jump around. Yeah. And that's what Champagne does. And so I'm going to lead us out with a little more House of Pain and right. some. Some jump around. So until next, everyone. On until next time, everyone. I've had some champagne. Cheers. Cheers.